Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I have a lot of paper in my hands today. How are you? Great. It's good to see you. We had a fab Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas mostly? Oh, I've got mixed, uh, mixed responses to that. I won't ask you for more information or we could be here for a very long time. Um, we are kicking off our new theme this morning. And we could not be more excited to be unpacking the vision that God gave us for this year. I don't really think it's just for this year. This is a vision for a lifetime, isn't it? If we never, ever unpacked any more vision, then what we have put on this wall would be enough to sustain us for a lifetime. Jesus is our vision. And we want to know him. We want to love him. We want to follow him. And we want to share him. And it's my privilege to kick off our theme of knowing him. And I hope that what each of these themes, mini themes, are going to do is just beautifully lead into it to one another. Because really, to know him is to love him. And if you love him, you're going to obey him, which means you're going to follow him daily. And if you're following him and you're obeying him and you're in the center of his purpose for your life, you just won't help but be able to share him with the way your life is, to invite people into the outrageous generosity that he's shown you. It will ooze out of every pore and every fiber of your being. But today there's this very special invitation that I want to share with you, that I feel God is laying on my heart for us at the start of this new year and this new decade. And as we were worshipping, you may have noticed that I sat down. It wasn't because I'd had enough, not wearing heels today, so my feet weren't hurting. I had this incredible encounter with Jesus. And I'm going to share more of it as I come into land today. But he gave me a prophetic song in worship and... It started in the moments where the guys weren't leading us in worship. You know those bits where it's time for us to rise up? And we were in good voice this morning, weren't we, when the words were on the screen. But the thing that I was listening into and that God spoke to me through were the parts where the words weren't on the screen. And I felt the Lord say, anyone can sing the words but where is your heart? Because sometimes I think that what's in between reveals the state of our heart more than anything that's scripted or rehearsed or planned or scheduled. More of that to follow. That's a little teaser for where we're going to end, so you can stay with me. I want to play a little game as we kick off this morning. It's called Knowing Me, Knowing You. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, I just thought to myself, when we think about knowing God, when we think about knowing Jesus, it's helpful to think about knowing anyone, isn't it? How well do we really know people? There are different shades of knowing somebody. And Pete Sims has known me for a considerable length of time now. I have almost known him more than not knowing him. Um, we're nearly at that point, aren't we? Yeah, just trying to calculate. I'm old now, so it's just doing the maths. I'm past it. I'm past it. I'm past it. Officially, I am past it. I have passed the threshold of whatever it is. 
Um, okay, so I've known him longer than I haven't known him. Uh, what a brilliant fact. So I'm going to invite him to the stage, but I also want to invite someone who knows me, but maybe a little less well. Now, James is our head of ops, and I thought he could draw the, the short straw on this one uh, for our little game this morning. James has been working in relatively close quarters with both Pete and I, so he's got some inside track information. But Will he be able to answer some of these questions this morning, ladies and gents? I just don't know. Welcome to James as well. Oh, why not? All right, I'm going to have to get the guys at the back to control the slides for me just for this section, apparently, so that there's no... Oh, that's yours. <laughs> We're very slick here. I need my questions. All right, I'm going to let you into some secrets about my life now. Don't you feel privileged? All right. First, oh, I'll stand here then. <laughs> First question, guys. Where did I celebrate the turn of the new millennium back in 2000? <laughs> Gonna have to have a good guess, James. <laughs> He's got a poker face, hasn't he? <laughs> Okay, James, would you like to tell us what you put? Paris. Paris, good get. Oh, I wish. <laughs> at, at a farm in Cambridge belonging to Rick. Okay, can we see my answer, please, ladies and gents? Yes, it was Rick's farm. Not quite as glamorous as Paris, but we did have a really good evening. Let's move on. Where did I embarrassingly get stuck while on holiday in France? Not one of my finest moments, I just like to say. Very, very, very embarrassing moment. Okay, James. In the toilet. <laughs> That's a good guess. On a carousel horse. Truth, it was on a carousel horse. It was so awful. I took Aria on there, and when it actually stopped, you know how it goes low and high? Well, it stopped so high, I couldn't get off. And, I was, and Pete got Aria off, and then I was just stuck there, and he was laughing at the side. I actually got told off by the guy because he wanted to start it again. It was really embarrassing. It was only about two years ago. Right, which dance do I avoid at all costs after a traumatic experience age 13? Could be. <laughs> okay, James. Waltz. The conga. It is indeed the conga. Uh, can we see where this is going? Got one last question. Oh, I'm not telling the story. <laughs> there are some things that no one else needs to know, and this is one of them. Oh, mortified. I just, oh. Anyway, let's move on. What food did I crave during pregnancy? Mm -mm. Burger King? Oh, nice. Granny Smith's apples? 
Christmas Granny Smith apples. Thank you very much to my two beautiful contestants. Sorry, James, we stitched you up a bit there. Right, I'm going to just come back to my keynote now, if that's okay, guys, at the back. Uh, right, we can go through there. So here's the thing. There are degrees of knowing somebody, right? And although there are probably plenty of questions that James could answer, he would know all about how much coffee I drink during the day and um, any number of things. Actually, in order to really know somebody deeply, there are certain ingredients. Um, we can know of someone, can't we? But not actually ever have met them. We can know all about somebody. We can know facts and information. We might even get to the point where we know somebody by name. We, we're on first name terms with that person. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we really know them. There are probably people that we work with, maybe someone who comes into the office occasionally and we know them by name and we would have a quick conversation over a hot drink, but do we really know what's going on in their lives? Do we really see past the facade, past the externals? We can know by sight. We can recognize people. We can even know someone superficially. But our goal when it comes to knowing Jesus, is to be intimately acquainted with him, to know him deeply. I don't know where you're at on your journey of knowing Jesus today. Maybe you know of him. Maybe you've heard that he's a good man, that some people believe that he is God, Lord of all. But to you, he hasn't really made any difference to your life. Maybe you've been sitting in church for years and you do know Jesus, but actually your relationship with him is still so superficial. Maybe it's deepened over the years, but there is always more to discover about Jesus. One of the definitions of the, the verb to know is to be familiar with or have experience and understanding of something or someone to recognize someone or something. And we want to be able to recognize when Jesus shows up in our life. We want to know it's him. I often wonder, you know, if Jesus came back, would we identify him? Would we know it was him? Would we be where he is? I wonder, because I think he would be really unlikely to turn up here on a Sunday morning. It's a big challenge, isn't it? So what are some of the ingredients for really, really knowing someone? Well, I think one of them, and it's not an exhaustive list, is proximity. We've got to get close. I think another is shared experience. You see, the reason that James had difficulty answering some of those questions is that he doesn't have 21 years of shared experience with me. He has no idea what happened, um, you know, when I was 13. Shared experience is massively important. But listen, shared experience through the good and the bad is the thing that truly cultivates intimate relationship, isn't it? Think about friends that you have. It's a game changer, isn't it, when you go away on a men's weekend together and you share accommodation, or you decide to go away on holiday with your friends or your family, right? It changes things. You get to know them in a way that you didn't know them before. You suddenly know their eccentricities. You, you maybe know whether they snore or not at night time. 
There are all sorts of things that you didn't know before. When you're in close quarters with somebody, you find out more about somebody, warts and all. Pete and I met touring in a band for 10 months with 10 other people. We knew those people pretty well. And as we began to fall in love with each other, it was interesting because by the time we were eventually starting a relationship at the end of that year, that we, we realized that we'd seen each other at our very best and at our very worst already. So we'd seen each other under pressure. We'd seen each other sad, angry, on the mountaintop, rejoicing in our absolute optimum flow with Jesus or at times where we were asking huge questions. It was like a fast track year of getting to know one another as friends before we ever started a relationship. And it was super helpful. But friendship through the good times only, it, it just gives you a snapshot of a person. It's like that with knowing Jesus too, isn't it? It's not enough just to pay him lip service in the good times. He wants to walk with us through the difficult times as well. I know it's not a word. Bev, Bev made it, this word for us. Intentionality, to be intentional is what I'm trying to say. And I think that that's both consistency and regularity. You see, there's something about just being consistent when you want to get to know somebody. It, it takes that deliberate intention, I'm going to get to know you. There's a couple in the church who were feeling really disconnected a couple of years ago, and they just decided, do you know what? We're going to give this one last shot. We're going to pull out all the stops. And instead of waiting for people to come to us, we're going to look past all the constraints in our home and our family situation. And every Sunday, for as long as it takes, we're going to invite somebody different to sit around our table. Do you know what? One of those people is now on our staff team. And the other is volunteering into some of our community outreach work. And they are flourishing. They're flourishing. They made this decision to be intentional. And do you know what? I love that. It's such an important thing because a lot of the time we think that to get to know one another, we just hang back and someone will make it happen. What if it's you? What if it's you that needs to take a step? I'm not being flippant. Forgive me. I know for some of us that's really tricky. I understand. But actually, these guys thought we're just going to give it one last go and they just couldn't be more flourishing in terms of their relationships in church and they've got to know people that they would never have envisaged they would even be friends with that's a cool thing isn't it well with Jesus yes he loves us yes he pursues us with a relentless love that's true but what if we made it our intention this year and this decade to know him like never before? What would it look like for us to pull up a chair in the table of our heart, not just on a Sunday, but every single day of the week and say, Jesus, come and commune with me? Intimacy. Intimacy, to me, that speaks of heart knowledge and not just facts. You see, we can know everything there is to know about Jesus. We can read all of the books that we like. We can get our passed on information secondhand from other people at conferences and through podcasts and through all of the different resources that are available to us. But there comes a point where if this relationship is going to weather me and sustain me in those moments of grief and pain, it has to be heart knowledge. It can't just be head knowledge. 
Head knowledge is helpful up to a point, but without that heart revelation, without that experience of who he is, it won't sustain the relationship in the tough times. And finally, very simply, time. And I think that we sometimes... We do people a disservice sometimes as church leaders because we either talk about quantity of time or quality of time, but it's not an either or. I've been thinking about this. You see, we often fall into one of two camps depending on our denomination. We might say, do you know what? It's all about having a regular quiet time. And I do think that's really important. But the danger with only focusing on the quantity of time that we spend with Jesus is that what we could do is tick it off as a little tick box and say, brilliant, done it, I did today's, but actually we weren't engaged. We weren't, there was nothing fresh about that. Similarly, we might focus all on the quality of the encounter that we have with Jesus. Don't worry about a quiet time, it doesn't matter. But what if you only have one quality encounter in a year? How much better do you know Jesus? We've got to have both, haven't we? We've got to have the quality and the quantity. Time. There's no substitute for time spent with one another. And, you know, our beautiful world of technology makes it so much easier to get to know people who are further away. So proximity, sometimes we can bypass that a little. But there's nothing like a good old-fashioned cup of coffee or dinner with someone looking them in the eye, is there? It's one of the best things for any relationship. Uh, I love some of the verses that I found in the New Testament about knowing Jesus. Philippians 3.8, I compare everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. John 10.14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know without any doubt those who are my own. And my own know me and have a deep, personal relationship with me. These are coming from the Amplified. I love the brackets. They help me understand even more what, what Jesus is driving at here. And finally, Matthew 7, 23, it's coming from it a different way. But this is a moment where Jesus is talking about the fact that there's going to be some surprises in heaven. That not everybody who cries out, Lord, Lord, and says, I did all of these amazing things in your name are going to be there. And to some, he's going to say, I never knew you. Oh, that just puts the fear of the Lord into my heart. Because it means that there are so many external things that we could be focused on that look like great activities for the Lord. But actually knowing him and him knowing us is massively, massively important. And interestingly, in pretty much all of the scriptures that I looked at as I was researching this topic, the Greek word for to know, um, all the derivatives, um, come from this root, which is ginosko. I had to look up the pronunciation in case you think I speak Greek. I don't. And this is a really interesting term. It means to come to know, and I like that because there's this sense of unfolding revelation. It's a journey. I know we love saying that, don't we? It's a journey, but it really is. It is a journey. You're not expected to know everything overnight. That's encouraging. To recognize, there we go again, 
that thing of recognition. I guess that means that there are plenty of opportunities to miss Jesus, to miss knowing Jesus and seeing him at work in and through other people. We want to be able to recognize him, to understand, to feel, to find and discover. I like the fact that to feel is there. I know that feeling sometimes has bad rap, but actually, the more you get to know somebody and the more you love them, you do feel that. It may change over time. It may have more substance to it. And there are moments where it's more of a head choice than a heart choice. But the feelings have to be involved too. To know, especially through personal experience and first-hand acquaintance, love it. If you want one piece of advice this year, I would say this. If you're struggling to get to know Jesus and particularly struggling to read the Bible, ditch all the other books this year and focus on that. Just begin with one of the Gospels. I'm not saying it's not good to read other people's stuff. I love it. I have plenty of books on the go. But if all of your knowledge is secondhand from another person, however spiritual they may be, however wonderful their walk with Jesus may look, it is no substitute from first-hand knowledge. Ginosko also means knowledge obtained by proximity to the thing or person and as a result of prolonged practice. Cool. That's quality and quantity, isn't it? Brilliant. To experientially know. And actually in brackets, it then refers to the use of the word know in an unusual place, which is Luke 1, 34, which is when Mary responds to the angel and says, how can this be seeing as I do not No, a man. It's an intimate acquaintance. It's an intimate acquaintance, Ginosko, to know God. So, at the start of this new year, 2020, two questions for us. How well do you know Jesus? If you were, in the quietness of your own heart, evaluating how well you know him, why don't you just have a think about that? Are you someone who's here today who's like, no, I don't, I don't know him. I've heard a lot, but I don't know. Are you someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you just have this hunger for more? Are you someone who's here today and you've known Jesus and you've walked in, in this amazing way, but actually you feel like you've lost something, that there's distance And the second question, possibly the more important one, actually, how well do you want to know Jesus? Because today I believe that he wants to extend an invitation to us, that wherever we find ourselves on the spectrum of that tube map that Anna so beautifully put together for me, that it's time to take a step closer Heaven is inviting us today, me and you, to take a step closer to Jesus. And I want to look at two sisters in the Bible today. They're like a little how-to guide for knowing Jesus. Because you're probably saying, well, I want to know Jesus, Nikki, but how? How do I do it? I just don't seem to be successful. Well, I think we've got a lot to learn from both Mary and Martha. And listen, the way that I'm going to unpack this this morning does have some hints of the traditional elements. But I want to say this. These two are not in competition. 
Mary is not good cop and Martha is not bad cop. That is a very simplistic way for us to look at that story. Today, we're going to learn from both of their lives in different ways. And we're going to look at two separate passages. And yes, we may pull out some really cool things from Mary initially. But wait, because Martha, the dark horse, is coming up in pole position. No, not in pole position. It's not a competition. We're going to learn something from both of them this morning, okay? So, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, I'm going to read them for you. Do turn if you have a Bible on your phone, or um, it might be behind me on the screen. No, it won't. Here we go. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. Did anyone feel like that over Christmas? <laughs> so she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha. My beloved Martha, why are, you, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. The second passage that we'll look at a bit later is John 11, but it's a lot of verses. So I will paraphrase some of it, but it's it's the story where Lazarus dies and is resurrected after four days, okay? So you can follow in your Bible if you'd like to when we get there. So what can we learn from Mary, first of all? Well, I think there's a few things, aren't there? We've probably heard most of these before, but I think it's a useful reminder. In that moment when Jesus arrives at their home, Martha gets on with the practical stuff and someone had to do it, right? Hospitality was a massive part of Jewish culture and that element was important. The welcome that Jesus received would have really mattered. So it wasn't that what she did was necessarily wrong. But Mary had this kind of radical moment. I mean, women, women shouldn't be sitting at the rabbi's feet. And here's Mary prioritizing intimacy with Jesus above activity. If we want to get to know Jesus more this year, could I put it to us that actually choosing intimacy with him above activity for him is a key. And I'm challenged by that as a church leader because most of my life is spent busy with activity for Jesus. But I want to tell you this, that the day that those activities become more important to me than my relationship with him is the day that I'm sure God will remove me from this position or I will remove myself because I don't want to be somebody that is so good at doing the stuff but doesn't know him, that has a heart that is far from him. I don't want to be that person. So forgive me if there are times when your email doesn't get answered. Forgive me if there are times when I choose to prioritize this over a meeting. But if I stand up here one day and I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I will be leading you to a place that you should never be taken. I believe in being authentic. It doesn't mean that there will be times where it's a struggle. I'm very honest about that. We both are. There are times where it's a struggle. 
but our heart, the reason we get out of bed every morning is to know him better and to help you to do the same. And if we ever forget that as we grow, then we will be in danger of losing the essence of what is most important. The other thing that Mary prioritized was proximity above preparation. You see, Martha's out there. She's physically removed from Jesus, getting stuff ready for him. She wants it to be right for him and for her other guests. But in that moment, as Mary is kneeling at his feet, there's this closeness of relationship. There's this beautiful proximity where she is receiving revelation after revelation from Jesus. And she just wants to be where he is. I remember when I first became a Christian, I just wanted to be where Jesus was. I would walk for hours to get to church. My parents wouldn't let me go. They thought I was part of some dodgy cult. Potentially my mum still does. No, she's been. She, she, she really loves it here now. But at the time, they thought it was a passing phase or craze that I would go out of. It's fairly unusual for a 14-year-old, isn't it, of all the phases or crazes. Um, but... I just couldn't get enough. I wanted to be where Jesus was. If our youth leaders were going to any kind of conference or event, or if they had held a meeting where we would just sit and listen to what God was saying, I was the first one there. Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from fatigue. Whatever that looks like, where actually now it's like I've got, I'm so rich. I'm so richly blessed that I take for granted that which I have. You know, I would love to see the upper room just full. Not because we felt it was another meeting we had to go out to tick a box, but because we just were so hungry for the presence of God in our lives that we just had to be there to see what he might do. It doesn't need to be a meeting, I know, but there's something so powerful about our corporate encounter with him. She prioritized knowing him above serving him. Ouch. Oh, man. It's just so easy to get our identity from serving him, isn't it? You know, we begin to step into whatever our ministry or calling might be, and it's just as much a danger if our primary ministry is in the marketplace as it is if we're doing stuff in the church. Don't be fooled by that. As he begins to show us more of what we can do for him, we mustn't lose sight of knowing him. Because actually anything that we do do for him It needs to come from that intimate place of knowing him. Are we more servants? Are we more sons and daughters? I don't know. She prioritized interaction above distraction. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Gosh, we're in a world where distraction is just so easy now. I find it hard to collect my thoughts a lot of the time because there's stuff coming in through WhatsApp. It's coming in via Facebook. There's phone calls. There's time with people. We're just grabbing a moment here and a moment there. And life is at such a pace. But interaction, true interaction requires focus. We have to be able to look somebody in the eye to see what they're thinking. How many times have you misunderstood somebody because you've just sent them a text message, right? And you've read it through your own filter of how you're feeling in that moment or the picture you've built up about them in the, in the time in between where there's been silence. Does that resonate with anyone? It's happened to me. And I've been misunderstood too in those moments. Nothing can replace that eye contact. You know, when you, you say a joke, someone can see the twinkle in your eye if you're close to them if you're having that proper interaction. Over the text message, that can be a dangerous thing. You're like, what are you saying about me? That's not funny. 
right? We're so easily distracted, but actually interaction. Mary, in that moment, she was present. She was present with Jesus just as he was present with her. And Martha's just busy getting the stuff, and she missed that moment. She did miss it. We can't kind of skirt away from that. And finally, Mary prioritize the important above the urgent. Gosh, this spoke to me so much this week. There are so many things that holler for our attention and they appear so very urgent. I need an answer to this thing right now. And we're so accessible, aren't we? Martha had Jesus in her home and she prioritizes getting everything ready over just sitting and being with him. Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, is wonderful. I know I've just told you to ditch all the other books this year and focus on the Bible if you need to. But if you did want one to read, it's really good. And something I read this week really, really struck me in that book, which is this, that when the disciples wanted to learn how to pray, they asked Jesus. And he didn't rebuke them for that. He wasn't like, you should know. You've been wandering around with me for ages now. You've seen me pray. He gives them this life-changing prayer that is small enough to fit into a tweet all these many years later and yet has changed the lives of believers for centuries, right? How awesome is that? But there's this moment as the early church is growing, they're seeing exponential growth. It's a crazy time. And the apostles are there and they're like, oh, we just can't keep up with all these, this urgent need. Everybody needs something all the time. I feel a bit like that right now. We're growing as a church. There's so much going on. And what do they choose to do? They delegate all the other stuff that seems so urgent and they say, we need to focus ourselves on prayer. We've got to spend time with him. We've got to know who he is. There's a lesson in there for me for certain this year. That's who I want to be. But so often everything else seems so much more important because it's faces that I love. It's people that I care about who just need this thing right now. We've got nothing to offer if we don't prioritize the important over the urgent. And I love that Martha did that. I'm oh, sorry, Mary did that. So let's move on because I want to get to our beautiful Martha. Pete, could you just come and fix this for me, please? That would be amazing. Let's take a look at John 11 now because there are some really cool things. You see, Martha gets such a bad rep. We always go, oh, you a Mary or a Martha. And the thing is that what we really all want to be is Mary because she sat at Jesus' feet and she did all these amazing things. But listen, Martha packs such an incredible punch. I can't wait to share this because I had some fresh revelation about this. You may already know this, but I am blown away. So there are a few things that we can learn. So here's the story in a nutshell. Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they are siblings and they are also really good friends with Jesus. They are intimately acquainted with him, each of them. And Jesus loves them. He loves hanging out with them. And Lazarus gets sick and he dies. And they send for word and Jesus doesn't come, even though they're besties. doesn't come. He's like, I just got to crack on with what I'm doing here for a minute. He just, there's almost like this like weird silence. And then he explains to his disciples that he's not coming for a reason because he wants to display his glory. But those guys don't know that. 
Mary and Martha don't have a clue. We read this story with the beauty of hindsight because we know what comes next, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But right now, he is dead. And he's really, really dead. He's like four days dead by the time Jesus comes. And word comes to these two sisters. The Jewish community have gathered around them. They have got people in their home grieving with them, sitting with them. The Jewish tradition of sitting shiva, they are there. And they are sitting and weeping with them in their grief. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what we are called to be to those who are grieving, actually. Now, let's think about Martha. Because Martha was super preoccupied with making sure that everything was ready and all her guests were catered for when we saw her last. Word comes that Jesus is coming. Who do you think is going to run out and greet him? Mary or Martha, based on our knowledge? Mary. But get this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained sitting in the house. I love that. I love that. This isn't the like, coolest part. This is just like stage one. I'm very excited. But she went to meet Jesus. She left her house guests. She left loads of the Jewish community that she would be responsible for hosting. And she went to meet Jesus. She couldn't wait to meet Jesus. She knew he was on his way. She could have stayed and waited for him to arrive, but no, she changed. She had learned. She had grown. There's this beautiful, active decision on her part to go out and meet him. Listen, church, do we spend too much of our time waiting for Jesus to come to us? I know that he will if we ask him, but what a beautiful depiction of faith to say, you know what, I'm going to come and apprehend you where you are because I know you change things. And I love being with you. And I'm going to meet you as you come towards me rather than wait for you to come to me. It's beautiful. This is Martha's equivalent of sitting at Jesus' feet. It's so full of faith. It's so full of love. It's so full of friendship. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. She trusted him despite the outcome. How do we know this? Well, in verse 22, she says, both sisters say, Lord, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Both Mary and Martha say that when they see Jesus, because Mary comes later, okay? So they have that in common, which is, it's a beautiful statement of faith. But only Martha goes on to say something else. And this is what she says. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God... God will give to you. Wow, what faith. Isn't that incredible? She trusted him despite the outcome. She hadn't seen what she was hoping for. Jesus hadn't come early enough in her human understanding to bring Lazarus back from the dead. So I don't necessarily think in that moment that what she was saying is, I know you could raise him now. I don't think she was saying that. And the reason I say that is because when Jesus goes to the tomb eventually, she tries to hold him back. She's like, no, there's a stench in there. He's been dead for four days. I don't think she knows what Jesus is about to do. So it's not that. It's not like, Lord, I know that you could resurrect him right now. No, it's just this, even though I haven't seen the outcome, I know you and I trust you. Friends, I know that there are many of us sitting here today and we haven't seen 
the outcome that we were praying for. I know we heard Dave's story last week and there was this bittersweet edge for me because I prayed for my dad. I prayed for Rick Murrell. I prayed for Sally Ransom. I prayed for so many people over the last however long and we, we don't always see that which we desire. We don't. But truly knowing Jesus is not believing in an outcome. It's having a relationship and choosing to trust and to know him even when we don't see it. And I remember a time when I was just begging the Lord to tell me whether my dad was in heaven or not. My dad wasn't a believer and there were certain amazing things that happened in the last week of his life. And, but I didn't know. And you know what I felt the Lord say to me after knocking on his door for as long as I could, asking him to tell me, give me a sign. I felt the Lord say, what do you think faith is? You think I'm going to give you every answer this side of eternity? You think I'm just going to tell you everything? This is a relationship. And I'm like, but God, this is too big for me to trust you on this one. I don't want to wait till I get there to find out. And he said to me again, you're a grown-up now. This is what faith looks like. Look, church, I don't understand some of the mysteries. But Martha trusted despite the outcome. Lazarus was dead. She didn't know what was coming next. She didn't. I don't think she did. But she knew Jesus. And she knew Jesus loved her and loved Lazarus. And somehow that was enough. Gosh, that is major. Now get this, because for me, this is the pinnacle of it all. She knew and understood who Jesus really was. What do I mean by that? Well, there's this moment where Jesus says, you know, I am the resurrection. And she goes, yeah, I know that Lazarus will be resurrected in time. Um, you know, when everybody else rises to be with you, she doesn't get what he's saying, right? He's not like, ta-da, I'm about to do something amazing. She's like, yeah, I know. And then he asks her, do you believe? And this is what she says. The Amplified is just the most beautiful, beautiful translation of this. Listen. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, I have believed and continue to believe that you are the Christ the Messiah, the anointed, the Son of God, he who was destined and promised to come into the world, and it is you, it is for you that the world has waited. What's amazing about that? Well, there's only one other person that we know of in the New Testament who had that same revelation. Peter, right? And we talk about Peter all the time, don't we? Peter recognized that Jesus was the Christ. He had this incredible revelation. And Jesus said, well, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. But so did Martha. And Martha had it as she'd just lost her brother. He was dead. It was beyond redemption. And in that moment, she says, but I know who you are. I know who you are. I perceive it. I see it. This intimate knowledge. That is just incredible and mind-blowing to me, and I've never seen it before. She's the only other person that we read of in the New Testament who has that direct revelation of who Jesus is without being told. Wow. It's amazing. It's not faith in an outcome. She knew him. She recognized him at work. 
She doesn't ask him to reverse the situation. She trusts him and she affirms her faith in him, staring death and loss in the eye. Listen, church. This isn't necessarily a cheery 2020 thought. But we don't know what life's going to bring us this year. I'd like to tell you this is going to be our best year yet. And I'm sure in many ways it will be. But I'm less interested in the hype of whether it's going to be a great year or whatever. What I'm interested in is building into you and into my life the stamina to say, whatever it brings, let me still be standing. Whatever it brings, let me know you better than I ever have. And we cannot shy away from the fact that one of the ways in which we come to know Jesus most is by sharing in his suffering. That, those verses I read from Philippians this morning, earlier on, they finish here. Philippians 3.10. And this, so that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection. Oh, sorry guys which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. Suffering, it's part of following Jesus. We can't skirt around it. To have a good year this year does not look like being immune from sufferings. To be a Christian who knows Jesus deeply does not look like breakthrough wherever you walk. Please let us not idolize that. Please let us not idolize the men and women who tell you that they have power for every single hour, that their life is just one series of seeing the hurdles knocked down with the amount that God just breaks through on their behalf. That is not what successful Christianity looks like. It's a relationship. And do you know what? Some of the most strong, resilient, amazing Christians that I admire, you'll never read their name in a book, but they're the ones who I have seen show up here Sunday after Sunday and lift their hands in worship, despite the things that they are walking through. They are the ones who continue to pioneer and and move forward into his purposes despite encountering great loss and great disappointment. They are the ones who have been persecuted or marginalized and yet still profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior and determine that they will not hold back from sharing him. Come on, church. Let's not be fooled into thinking that knowing Jesus is an easy ride where we just go from miracle to miracle, wonder to wonder. I know in this moment Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead. But that's not everybody's story and it's not everybody's experience. So today, we have this beautiful invitation, Andrew, if you could come, to take a step closer. And I want to finish with the questions I asked at the beginning. How well do you know Jesus? And how well do you want to know Jesus? Jesus.